The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognize that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Coming up on today's programme, we're going to be speaking to Tim Lawton, Conservative MP for East Worthing and Shoreham. Bloomberg's uh, Moena Conium will join us with the latest on the situation in Northern Ireland. And we'll discuss the national insurance rise with Lydia Prague from the New Economics Foundation. Well, cost of living is the phrase of the day, isn't it? Britons are getting a sense of just how painful the squeeze may be in the coming months. The energy regulator Ofgem has announced the biggest increase in household bills on record, a 54% jump from the 1st of April. It means adding some £600 a year to the typical family bill, with inflation now at a 30-year high. It's a huge challenge for the Bank of England and borrowing costs. The Chancellor Rishi Sunak is setting out measures today to try to ease that crisis, but the fact remains that rising prices, stagnating wages and the prospect of higher taxes are taking a toll on British households. Yeah, so a hike in average bills of £693 from April. So for once, it's not just Party 8 that the Prime Minister has to worry about and the Conservative rebels are circling. The Times reports that at least five more MPs are considering submitting their letters of no confidence in the coming days. Meanwhile, in Northern Ireland, the BBC reports that First Minister Paul Given intends to announce his resignation later today in protest against the Northern Ireland Protocol. More on that later in the programme. Well, joining us now is Tim Lawton, Conservative MP for East Worthing and Shoreham, who has called on Boris Johnson to resign over lockdown parties at Downing Street, saying that the Prime Minister is damaged after the Sue Gray report. Tim wanted to give listeners that background. Welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Um, Morning, Caroline. Good morning. I want to start then um, on the energy price issue. Ofgem announcing this big jump, even bigger actually than had been expected, this big jump in household energy bills as of the 1st of April. What can the government really do about this? Well, I think the first thing the government's got to do is to uh, acknowledge, which it has, that this is not just a flash in the pan. This uh, problem, which has been caused by worldwide um, prices in in gas going up disproportionately and certainly that's not been helped by the international position in Ukraine and Russia at the at the moment so it needs to to have something that is sustainable for the next year or so because this is not all going to be over within a matter of of months so later today the chancellor is going to announce various measures which have been uh, sort of trailed in the the media and quite rightly he's going to focus on helping those less well-off families most of, of all who are, are going to be suffering disproportionately. What, mm. what, what we also need to do is to make sure we're, we're looking at pensioners and those uh, people on fixed incomes who obviously are much more affected by 
uh, by inflation and by big energy bills, which will be probably in some cases their largest single single bill. So he's going to set out a number of measures that's going to give some, some real practical help. It's a question of how far it goes. Yeah, an average increase of uh, nearly £700 uh, for the typical bill. And as you say, this probably will take more effect in October. We'll probably see another increase then. As you say, a lot needs to be done here. Is enough being done for those houses which are not in the poorest category, but those people who are just struggling to get by? And there are millions of people for whom this will be a big increase. And I'm not talking about the people at the very bottom, the the, the next people up on, on the ladder. And I think that's a, a really good point and why we need to see the full detail of what is being announced now. And it also be, needs to be seen in the round of various other measures that were announced in the budget last year and how those impact on um, the squeeze middle, as we used to, used to call people. And I am worried because I think there are measures which we are bringing to bear for poorer households. The warm homes uh, discount extending that, uh, that scheme potentially help on uh, on council tax uh, as as well. But it's those people who don't qualify for various benefits and above various other thresholds that potentially will be impacted um, substantially by this. We need to make sure that, that those people are being protected for in so much as the government can as, uh, uh, yeah, as well. So but that's we it, need it's... to see the full detail of all of this. Okay, we do. But we, you know, the, the ideas have been floated, right? A state-backed loan, a one-off payment, for example, of £200, uh, perhaps even council tax being cut temporarily. The issue with all of this is that it's sort of giving with one hand and taking with, with another. It's all going to come out of people's taxes. Well, ultimately, any money that the government gives to uh, subsidise um, people or to, to fund various projects is all taxpayers' money. There's no such thing as government uh, uh, money. It's a question of making sure that the government taxes uh, fairly and proportionately and in a way that maximises tax without killing the golden goose um, effectively. And that's a really difficult balancing act at the moment because on top of now the cost of living pressures caused by things completely out of control, as I say, by international gas uh, uh, prices, we've also got But it's the, not just huge... international gas prices, is it? Surely the Conservatives have been in power for 12 years. The seeds of the energy crisis are, come long before that. I completely disagree with that, uh, Caroline. I mean, these, if you go and see really? what uh, is happening in other European uh, countries as well, the single biggest impact on cost of living that's coming down, that's affecting us now and is coming down the, the tracks is going to be uh, energy. There have been short-term uh, squeezes on supply, largely because of the pandemic, largely because of international uh, freight uh, shortages and, and costs going up there that have led to some increases in, uh, in, in prices. Uh, that hopefully is a spike. This is a much more substantial train coming down the, uh, the track, which is why the government specifically is intervening on, on, on this. If we go back over the, the 11, 12 years where there's been a Conservative government, we've had inflation at a very low uh, rate. The cost of living has been largely under control. This is a really artificial position that's been created this, this year, partly on the back of the pan, pandemic, but also on the back of international uh, we've, had, we've, had, we've had no new nuclear, though, well. for years and years. The Conservatives haven't uh, opened any nuclear plants. and We've become more and more dependent on gas and it's really gas which is which is driving this inflationary surge surely well we've also become more and more dependent on um, renewables which is why we've had the fastest growing renewable program in the entire world and at times we've had 50% of our energy being uh, driven by uh, renewable and particularly uh, wind power now i want to see uh, much more uh, investment in nuclear as uh, as well as we transition into a completely green energy uh, economy but what i don't want to see 
is at the expense of um, the Chinese um, money having control of our infrastructure projects. And that's been part of the problem mm. uh, in how we finance big nuclear um, projects. So we've done very well on, on renewables. We are ahead of many other countries in weaning ourselves off uh, fossil, uh, fossil fuels. I think we do need to realise that gas is part of a transition fuel as well as we get to uh, renewables. And perhaps... Uh, we've been too quick to go to renewables uh, away from some of the fossil fuels on which we okay. are still going to rely, however green you want us to be, and I certainly want us to be as green as, uh, as, yeah. as possible. It's a question of getting that mix right. But look, we're not, we're not suffering this in isolation. Many, many other countries around the world, sure. particularly in Europe and Western economies, are having to look at similar measures to protect some of their most vulnerable people as well. No, it is, it is definitely a, a, um, a European and a global energy crisis. OK, let's move away from that then and talk about Boris Johnson, 13 Conservative MPs have publicly called for the Prime Minister to go. You've been highly critical. Does that mean that you've put your letter of no confidence into Sir Graham Brady? Well, whether I put a letter in um, now or next week or six months ago is entirely a private matter between me and the chairman of the 22 committee. I've made my, um, my views very clear in the letter I wrote to constituents over a couple of weeks ago now to say that with great regret, I fear that the Prime Minister's position had become untenable and nothing has changed since then to change my mind on that. Surely the people in your part of Sussex have a right to know whether you think the Prime Minister should face a vote of no confidence? Uh, well, I've said I think that he needs to stand down. I mean, that, I've made it perfectly uh, clear. Many other people have said they wanted to wait and see for the Grey Report or various other uh, things. I've said uh, almost three weeks ago now that with regret I come to the conclusion that his position is untenable and therefore I think the only way this is going to be resolved is by him uh, standing down and we would have a leadership uh, challenge. The mechanics of people putting in letters or whatever is entirely a private matter and it wouldn't be appropriate to say who's put in a letter at any particular time which would only drive a feeding frenzy among the media even more. Okay, but there seems to be an inevitability, surely, that this leadership contest is going to happen within perhaps the next few weeks or months. What do you think would happen with that? Boris Johnson would presumably fight it. He's refused to go despite the many calls for him to from his own MPs, as you say. I mean, if he if he fought it, could he win it? Well, the, the, the Prime Minister is showing no sign of wanting to go quietly at the at the moment. And I think that is unfortunate because, as I say, for those of us who come to the conclusion that um, he has been um, damaged, and I can see no way back from that, dragging out this agony is going to cause more damage, not just to the Prime Minister, but to the government, to the mm. Conservative Party, my um, party, and also people's confidence in, in government. And that's why I've said very clearly that the best route would be for him to stand down and for there to be a contest for somebody else to, to stand up. If he doesn't do that, then we have to do it the hard way, as it were. It needs 50, uh, I think 53 letters um, from my uh, colleagues to trigger a vote of no confidence. And then it's up to all 359 Conservative MPs to vote as to whether they have confidence or not. And if the majority vote that they don't, then, and that will take, uh, what, 180, then uh, we have a leadership contest and, and new people can put their hats into the, uh, into the ring. And then that takes some weeks and months to resolve. Isn't there a very real danger that he wins that no-confidence vote and then you're left with a, a, a Prime Minister who's clearly wounded but uh, s staggering on, if you'll if pardon the metaphor? Yes, and, that, and, that's, and that's not good for anybody. It's certainly not good for the, for the country, which is why, as I've said all along, I think the easiest thing and the, the, the smoothest way of transition is if he were to decide to, to stand down himself rather than to fight a 
what could be a prolonged contest. And as you say, if he uh, if he does get over a hundred and uh, 80, uh, 80 votes, then he's he's immune for the next um, uh, year, but would be would be damaged. So, if you f- forgive me, I mean that's one of the calculations where people mm. deciding whether they put in letters now or uh, or not have got to take into account as to, uh, as well. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Well, let's get to the issue of trade and Northern Ireland. Things seem to be coming to a head with the protocol. Northern Ireland's agriculture minister has ordered a halt to checks on all goods coming into the region's ports, effective from midnight last night. Meanwhile, First Minister Paul Given is reportedly planning to hand in his resignation today in protest over the protocol. So pretty big news coming from across the Irish Sea. For more on this story, we're going to be joined now by Bloomberg's Dublin Bureau Chief, Moena Conium. Uh, Moena, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Just talk us through uh, the this possible uh, resignation. What would be the, the consequence for Northern Ireland if, if this happens? Thank you. So, yes, uh, Paul Given, who is the first minister in Northern Ireland, um, he's a member of the DUP. Um, there are reports that he is potentially going to resign today. There's going to be a meeting of the DUP this afternoon, is uh, what reports are saying. Um, and if he is, resigns, that automatically triggers the resignation of the Deputy First Minister, um, which is a joint uh, position uh, currently held by Sinn Féin, Michelle O'Neill. And so essentially, it, him resigning uh, triggers the collapse of the executive and therefore no decisions can be made. Um, this suspends the Northern Irish government effectively. Yeah, uh, and this is you know significant and hugely problematic. It's sort of we we know that the, the the DUP does not like the protocol, wants it to be scrapped, but this is the issue perhaps coming to a head, isn't it? So, what's been the reaction, for example, from the British government uh, here in London? What would the EU think about this? Yes, yeah, so there's been outrage on both both sides. Really, um, the EU, uh, Murray McGuinness, Commissioner has said that breaches international law. Um, and uh, Simon Coveney, the Irish Foreign Minister, also has stressed that this is a breach of international law. You know, the, the UK and the EU signed this agreement. Um, you know, it is a legally binding agreement and it's also international law, therefore. Um, and but Northern, uh, the Northern Ireland Secretary, uh, Brandon Lewis, has said that this is a matter for the Northern Irish Assembly. So the UK are currently not not getting involved, but leaving it to um, sort of Brussels and Northern Ireland to work out. Yeah, that's quite something, isn't it? Westminster saying it's really your problem. Um, on Bloomberg Westminster this week, Ian Paisley told us that the DUP had been uh, very patient on the protocol. So this has been uh, coming for some time, hasn't it? How much of a how much of a shock do you think the situation is uh, uh, over there in Northern Ireland and in the Republic? Well, I think, you know, we are gearing up towards an election in Northern Ireland in May. Um, it has to be held on the 5th of May, if not before, although now this obviously throws all that into question. So, um, 
the EU and UK have been very keen to get the issues surrounding the protocol sorted out before campaigning began for that at the end of March. And this really sort of throws the timeline in, into question. And I think in Northern Ireland, a lot of people want to get on with their lives, um, you know, other parties there and, and business in particular um, are trying to adjust to issues surrounding the protocol, but also are really concerned about other issues, you know, such as healthcare and jobs. And those things are not able to, when you when you suspend the government, potentially, you know, those things, no doubt to make progress on. So I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of frustration. Um, you know, unionists are very concerned mm. about the protocol, but it's not necessarily the issue that is... Um, the forefront of a lot of people's minds there. Yeah, two years after uh, the completion of Brexit, this still thorny issue around trade uh, in uh, and to Northern Ireland, the Northern Irish Protocol, perhaps coming to a head. Morwenna, thank you so much for your reporting, for being with us this morning. That is Bloomberg's Dublin Bureau Chief, Morwenna Conian. Yeah, great to get an update on that moving story. Well, let's get back to something else which is very much in the news today. UK inflation already running at 5.4%, and that's before the record energy price hike uh, announced uh, almost uh, £700 on the average bill coming from April. Now, another cost set to hit at the same time is the government's hike to national insurance contributions to fund health and social care. Both employees and companies, as well as the self-employed, will all pay an extra one and a quarter percent in national insurance. Well, joining us now is Lydia Prague, Head of Economics at the Think Tank, the New Economics Foundation. Lydia, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Now, on the face of it, this is a pretty modest tax rise, isn't it, to pay for a much-needed funding boost to health and social care. What, what's your issue with it? Yeah, so I think it's, it's worth keeping in mind with all the discussion about this tax coming in at the same time as, uh, as the living standards crisis. The, um, you know, the sums of money involved for the average person and certainly the low-income person um, with this national insurance rise are, are much lower than the sums of money involved when we're talking about something like the energy um, price crisis. So, for example, we've just had news the average energy bill is going to go up by £700. Um, in contrast, you know, if you're earning around, say, £20,000, you'd be paying around £89 per year more um, via these national insurance changes. So definitely, um, if you're interested in, in the alleviating the living standards crisis, the first thing to look at is the energy situation. Um, I would also add that if you're concerned about living standards, um, having underfunded public services is not a good way to go about addressing that because public services provide vital income in kind, um, particularly once again for people on, on lower incomes. Um, and it's a vital component for things like productivity as well. Um, so we do need to find progressive ways to raise um, you know, decent sums of money to have properly funded public services. Um, but of course, that's not the same as saying that the, what the government has proposed with national insurance is um, you know, the most progressive option they could have chosen. I mean, I, I should acknowledge no. it is progressive. It is um, predominantly going to be paid by those on higher incomes. Um, but there are things they could have done to have raised the money in, a, you know, in an even more progressive way. Okay, I mean, the government has said that it did try to make the tax fair at the time, at least broader by making working pensioners pay. I mean, perhaps that addresses one issue, do you think? 
Um, yes, so when the health and social care levy comes in, yes, it, it, so that yes, that will help um, address the, the pension exemption, which is important. Um, but there are other issues as well. So, for example, um, you know, some investment income. So, for example, money that people earn through renting property um, is exempt and will be exempt. Um, there's also higher levels of, um, of earnings. Um, the rate of tax really drops off very quickly. So, if you earn above fifty thousand, then for additional income above that. Then gets taxed at two percent. Whereas if you compare that to say with income tax, obviously we have much higher, you know, progressive rates, the higher rates of of, of earnings. And so, um, you know, we, we we really need to be okay. looking at the, the top end of the um, national insurance um, spectrum as well, making that more progressive. It does. It does seem quite a modest increase, as you say. The government figures say that it's less than eight pounds a month extra for somebody earning twenty thousand pounds a year, and it does raise quite a lot of money for health and and social care. You've talked about uh, closing tax loopholes, uh, I notice. Um, isn't that easier said than done? Governments of both colours have attempted to crack down on loopholes for years. It's not going to raise anything like £12 billion a year, is it? Well, I think that depends on what you're talking about. Um, you know, the, sort, the sorts of things that I, I was just discussing were actually sort of fundamental changes to, to national insurance, um, you know, and, and bringing in things like rental incomes, et cetera, and, and making sure that once you pass £50,000, you know, the rate goes up for, for additional income earned um, above that, which is exactly what we do for income tax. So everything I'm proposing is, is, is very doable. Um, there's a lot of debate on, on closing sort of other kinds of loopholes, loopholes around capital gains, um, etc. Et, et um, you know, however, I would add, I think there's some um, interesting new voices. So, for example, the Conservative think bank Bright Blue recently mm. put out a report saying we need to fund um, public services through changes to capital gains tax and inheritance tax. So these are conservative voices that you wouldn't normally hear before, um, you know, saying these sorts of things, saying we need to look at, at, at taxing wealth better as, as well. Okay. Um, and of course, there's also this, which which struck me, uh, which is from Tony Danker, the CBI director of the CBI, obviously the big voice of business in Britain, that high spending, high taxes and low growth is a vicious cycle. They're worried about uh, the UK sort of being stuck in a trap of low growth and high taxes from a conservative government. So uh, th- there's quite a sort of lot of concern about, um, you know, that there should be perhaps more deregulation, more relief on, on business investment, for example. So there's a worry within the the business lobby, which is traditionally a a core kind of conservative pillar. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if you're looking at the measure, say, of the percentage of um, tax revenue as percentage of GDP, for example, which is sort of a measure of how heavy the, um, mm. the, the, we get taxed, the UK with these changes will go up to being slightly, very slightly above um, the OECD average. However, um, still significantly below many other high-income countries. So I, I you know, I would re- reject the idea that we're moving into really dangerous, uncharted territory here. I mean, these are the sorts of tax levels that are seen in many other, um, you know, very prosperous countries. Couldn't we just borrow the money? We've borrowed an awful lot of money over the last couple of years. This is only only twelve billion pounds, which is really a drop in the ocean compared to the, the borrowing of the last uh, two or three years. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's room for further borrowing. I don't actually think we're in some, you know, the, the debt situation is a, is a cause for immediate panic and the, and the financial markets don't think so either. However, if you're looking beyond like the immediate next kind of couple of years and you're talking about finding long-term solutions to, to, to you know, these big problems, um, you know, you have to fund something like social care through progressive taxation, um, you know, rather, rather than borrowing. So we need to be looking at putting in place sustainable solutions. Um, and there are ways 
to do that where we're, you know, we're transferring that cost onto the shoulders of people who, who really can afford to pay. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.